So good to see you here on this beautiful day. Uh, it's a little cold outside, baby. Baby, it's cold outside, but uh, we're still here, and I'm, I'm so glad you came. I feel like I have a, a message that is, is going to hopefully be helpful for this coming year. Um, our nation has been challenged this past year, and honestly, in recent years, with uh, moral issues. It's not anything that's new because morality and immorality has always been boxing against one, one another. But today I want to stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. There's a, <coughs> excuse me, this past week I was thinking about the message and, and I was saddling my horse up. And, and when you're saddling your horse up, you have to be careful that that, that that horse doesn't inadvertently move into you and step on your foot. Anybody ever been stepped on by a horse? It's just like, we got a lot of y'all. It hurts. It hurts bad. The, the one thing that, that is unacceptable to me as a horse owner is for my horse to move into me. Whenever I'm brushing him or putting a saddle on him, or doing anything. I don't want him moving into me, but sometimes they, they just inadvertently, generally it's not on purpose, but sometimes they just do it um, because they're not thinking. <laughs> and so what, we, what I have to do, or we as horse owners have to do, we have to remind our horses that they need to respect our space. And they can't be moving into us. That's unacceptable. They can move away from us when we ask them, but we want them to stand still because it's safer like that. Because I got grandkids and I don't want, I want my horses to respect me. But a lot of times they don't respect, uh, they don't respect us because they're just not thinking. But sometimes inadvertently they will just get pushy with you. And when that happens, then I don't want any of the PETA people to get angry at me, but sometimes pain is involved whenever they get too pushy. And their correction has to be made, and what we call discipline comes into order. <clears throat> I believe that our nation has gotten to the place where they have become too pushy. I believe that it's come to the place where they uh, not only inadvertently want to step on you, they, uh, many ways, morally, they are intentionally trying to step on us. And so my, my message to you today is we have a national motto, and our national motto is, In God We Trust. But the title of my message this morning is, In We, We Trust. Because if we're not careful, we will buy into what the world is pushing on us. And in order to keep peace and for everybody to get along, we give in to the immor Im immorality to a degree uh, and then we have stepped over the line as a church. 
Now, I know today that I'm preaching to the choir. That if you're here on a Sunday morning and it's really cold outside, you're here because you want to be here and you love God. I know that's why you're here today. And I also believe that it's necessary many times for us to stir up our pure minds and to be aware and, as my daddy would always say, pay attention. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. It says, the Lord watches over the path of the godly. The Lord watches over the path of the godly. Aren't you thankful that God does that for us? Then it says, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. We don't ever want to mix morality with wickedness. It's a challenge for us. Uh, Our nation has embraced division. There's been a lot of division in our country, and uh, it seems as though the line between biblical morality and unbiblical immorality, it, it begins to get much more separated. It's not as diluted as it was in the 80s and the 90s. There's a a getting to be a wider gap. You're either for God or you're against God. You either trust in yourself and American ingenuity and and who you are, or you trust in God, the God that created you, made you who you are, and he's the one that has given you the ability to gain the wealth that you have. But the line is there. I would say this, no God, no gratitude, no accountability, no moral consensus regarding right or wrong. Man's law replaces national conscience. And we have to watch the conscience of our nation, not just the conscience of ourselves, but the conscience of our nation, because we have to be careful that we don't buy into or become deceived by what the world is selling us that is contrary to the word of God. We have laws in our nation. We have godly biblical laws, and then we have laws that protect immorality. historical quote by James Madison. He said this, he said, it will be of little avail to the people that the laws are made by men of their own choice if the laws are so voluminous that they cannot be read or so incoherent that they cannot be understood. Anybody ever, when you were getting ready to sign something that you read the fine print and you're like, I have no idea what that's talking about. It's the same way with many of our laws that are on the books today. They are so wordy that they, they and voluminous. There's such a large volume of laws on the books today. And so, so many uh, regulations that there's really, it's impossible for any one person to remember all of these laws that our nation has put together. Stay with me, trying to make a point. 
So the current de debate continues to be framed. Rich versus not so rich. Capitalism versus socialism. Big government versus big business. And also, as we all know, Republican versus Democrat. There's a division in our nation today. But there's another contrast that would better frame our current national debate, one that, if taken seriously, might restore our national conscience, namely those who recognize God as the ultimate source of our provision and those who do not, those who are ashamed to say, in God we trust, and those who say, in government and American ingenuity, we trust. Or in other words, in we, we trust. So it's the grateful and accountable versus ungrateful and unaccountable. Grateful and accountable. You can't be grateful and unaccountable. You just think about that a minute. You can't be grateful and unaccountable. If you're a grateful person, you'll have to be accountable to somebody. But there is also ungrateful that don't want to be accountable to anybody. We as a church understand that we, if we are to be grateful, we must also be. Yeah. If you're uncomfortable connecting spirituality with the state, I understand that. All we have to do is look toward the Middle East to find how that really doesn't work. We have, as a nation, been created as one nation under God. Freedom in our religion to, to have a freedom to serve God. Not a freedom from religion, but freedom of religion. That we can serve God in the way that we choose to serve God. And we can't have it two different ways. We either have it with God and accountable to God, or we don't have it. And we become trusting of ourselves. And we all know where that winds up. <clears throat> so if we remove God from the curricul curriculum of our society... We remove, remove divine accountability and conscience. We have to replace it with something. If we remove God and God consciousness, we have to replace it with something. What we have chose as a nation to replace that with is law. The law. I don't, I don't know if we got any old people here. <laughs> I remember the day, y'all remember the day whenever you, you would just, you would shake hands and you'd look somebody in the eye and you'd give them your word and that was good enough. Amen. You remember those days? Yes. It's not much that way anymore. And we have become so litigious and we've used so much, so many, uh, we're, we're uh, lawsuits are rampant today. So we have to have more laws to so-called protect people 
from other people. And the law begins to become more powerful than God. Stay right there. As a culture becomes more secular, it requires law that is more complex, and a culture becomes more litigious or unreasonably prone to go to law to settle disputes. At that point, right and wrong is not determined by law, but by judges and jurors. <laughs> well, they said not guilty. That means I'm not guilty. With law without God means I'm not guilty until I'm caught. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we think if we don't get caught, <clears throat> it's okay. Some of you kids are looking at me like, move on, move on, move on. <laughs> but you kids, we used to be kids too. And we want to move on too because... <laughs> But we also know that there's somebody that is always with us, that promised us that he'd never leave us, never forsake us, even when we're not doing good or not doing right, that he would be faithful to us when we were unfaithful to him, that he would be there for us when we're not really there for him, but he's always going to be there for us whether we get caught or not. How many laws are there in a healthy marriage? Probably not that many, I would think. Home, company, you don't have to have a lot of laws. My Bible tells me love never fails. The greatest commandment. I remember, oh, I'm not going to get into that. No one pass on that. Our national conscience in the past was shaped by a sense of personal accountability to God, the God of the New and the Old Testament. Our challenge is in the saying because a lot of people have shifted their trust from God to the trust of the government and the president. And I'm going to say the government's going to let you down the president's going to let you down. But God always has your best interest at heart. Well, it doesn't feel like he has. Let me tell you something. The good and the perfect things in your life, make no mistake, they come from God. If, if there's things in your life that, that aren't good, it didn't come from God. And stop giving God credit for... Oh, I don't know how to use my crucial conversations here. <clears throat> I read a book, Crucial Conversation. It teaches you how to say things in a nicer way. <laughs> but don't blame God for the stupid things you've done and when you're reaping your own, what you've already sowed, right? I know that's not saying it right, but that's the only way I can come up with it. And if that offends you, <clears throat> it's a good opportunity for you to practice forgiveness. 
So that if we have accountability to God and, and if God talk has fallen, and sadly it has fallen out of favor in our nation uh, because we don't really want people to be uncomfortable. Don't you think that the Pharisees were pretty uncomfortable when Jesus said that you are like whitewashed tombs, you're all clean on the outside, but on the inside you are dead men's bones. Do you think those Pharisees got a little bit uncomfortable when Jesus talked to them about things that pierced them down deep in their soul? So really it's not about us making other people comfortable. It's about... It's about whenever we live our lives that God is smiling down on us. Not that we are bitter individuals because of the, 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 the shape that our nation is in, but we have a solution and that God is that solution and our trust and our confidence is in a holy God that has our best interest at heart. And we're not going to be deluded by the things of the world. We're not going to be those dead fish that keep floating downstream. We're going to be that live fish that goes up against the current of this world because we are not of this world. We're in the world, but we're not a part of this world. Our home is in heaven. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to the king of kings, and we're not going to allow our government to dictate to us how we feel. <laughs> Prosperity without gratitude makes us arrogant. This is the number one complaint leveled against Americans today by the other parts of the world. They say that we are prosperous, arrogant people. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. This is a verse that came to me early in the week. It's funny how you can read verses and then you, you get it in your mind. And you're like, where is that verse at? And then you get to looking for it. Here's what I found. Verse 8 says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Lying can't be a part of our lifestyle. We, we have to tell the truth, even sometimes if it hurts. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty or riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, steal and so dishonor the name of my God. <coughs> so, how much is it? Are they giving away in the lottery now? They, I mean, it's really big, right? You all are acting like you don't even know. I heard it on the radio yesterday. A half a billion dollars. Now, don't y'all go out and buy lottery tickets. The preacher told you it's going to give half. But I, when we talk about that type of money, we're like, what I could do with a half a billion dollars? So I'm thinking about this sermon last night before I go to sleep, and I'm like, well, what would I do? And then I got in the trap.
But we think if we had a half a billion, let me tell you something. They do TV programs on how the lottery ruined my life. So it's not, not everybody is built to take a lot. So it, now, if you had $100 million, you might not be able to handle it. It might. A lot of times it causes divorce. A lot of times your kids get, you, it just, it messes up family dynamics. I'm telling you, money isn't the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. So we have to pay attention to that. And we think, man, if I, just, if I had that, I, would, I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Well, only God knows what you would do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I, have, I know people that have been really blessed. And there's a lot more responsibility for that person that trusts in the Lord to be a good steward of the, the wealth that God has blessed them with. We don't know what that's like because we've never experienced it. But let me tell you something. It's challenging to people who have been given uh, the uh, responsibility of wealth. <laughs> You're still not buying what I'm selling. <laughs> I like it though. Increasingly, we are, however, a nation that continues to ask, as a nation, who is the Lord? Just before Israel entered into their new home, Moses gave them a little pep talk and warned them of this dynamic, that God would give them a system of civil laws, but that wasn't enough. If they were committed to him, if they were not committed to him, what God had given to them wouldn't work. You see, everything that works in our lives works in our lives because we are committed to him, because we trust him and we have confidence in him over anything that we would come up with in our own personal mind. So in this system, there would be no king. The authority would not rest in a person, but in, in law and conscience in God. The hope was that God's law would shape their conscience. And they were coming out of Egypt with slave law because Pharaoh was a law. <coughs> Let me say this. This isn't in the Bible, so I'm just giving you this disclaimer right now, what I'm fixing to say, but the principle is all over the Bible. You remember the story about how God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, right? And they came into the desert, then they went into the promised land. I would submit to you today that the same people that complained when they were making bricks in slavery in Egypt, were the same people that complained when they were getting fed by God in the desert. It was the same people that was complaining they didn't have enough to eat. Probably the same people that was making bricks in slavery complained when they were in the desert. And whenever they got into the promised land, it's probably the same people that were complaining in the promised land. 
So your circumstances is not what really rules you. It's about God's kingdom and God's presence in your life that will bring peace to us. It'll bring peace to the nation. It'll bring peace to our marriage. It'll bring peace to our family. That's why you did the right thing today when you decided to come to church because you know that your peace doesn't come from this world. It doesn't come from Washington. It comes from the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. You are here today because you know where your peace comes from. The hope that was in God's law would shape their conscience. So we find in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6, Moses giving them the little pep talk. Here it is, verse 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. Revering him is kind of like the horse. The horse has to have reverence for me, not to step on me, but he has to have reverence for me because I'm the one that's in charge and I own that horse. And whenever I tell that horse to get in a horse trailer, he's going to the horse trailer. He doesn't say, oh, I just don't feel like going to the roping today. I don't care what you feel like. We're going to the roping. <laughs> Why? Because I own the horse. You with me? We got too much foo-foo thinking in our world today. So it says, observe the commands. He doesn't say observe the suggestions of the Lord. Walking in obedience to him and revering him. Verse 7, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land with, and then he goes on with water, springs, bread, honey, barley. And then he says this, he says, you will lack nothing. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. So in other words, recognition and gratitude are critical components. If we don't express thanks, what happens? We forget and take credit ourselves. The good things are not coming to you because you're lucky. They're coming to you because you are a child of God. Give God credit. Give him glory. <clears throat> That's why it's so dangerous for us to continue to remove God from our national conversation. To take the Bible out of school. Take prayer out of school. Take God out of our culture and if God's going to come back in the culture the world is not going to be the one that brings God back into our culture it's going to be the church verse 11 be careful everybody say be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day why did he say that because prosperity is not conducive to humility and gratitude Prosperity is not conducive to humility and gratitude. In other words, it doesn't come naturally. It has to be there because you know and you choose to be grateful in the middle of your prosperity. Uh, and let me just define prosperity for you. If you got a roof over your head, food in your belly, and you got any money at all in your pocket, you're, you're wealthy. Amen. Thank you. Let's just define that right now. So I think that covers most all of us. 
Verse 12, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, he's like, you're going you're gonna to have a lot of good stuff. When your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and you have all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, he's saying that you will think that you pulled this off. You stay there long enough and you stay in your prosperity long enough, then the infiltration and the bleeding in of the sin nature takes a hold. Verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. The problem with my power for me is that I'm not accountable to anyone for what I do with it. It's mine because it's about me. And it doesn't matter if it's your enterprise, your capitalism, libertarianism, uh, it becomes a vehicle for hoarding and injustice and it becomes self-serving. Case in point, the only way to confront hoarding and injustice is through more laws so that the hoarders and the unjust can hoard and act unjust, can't hoard and act unjust anymore, which leads to more injustice and more hoarding of things. So listen to this. Since 1995, 88,899 regulations have been passed in our nation, and there are four, only 4,312 laws from these regulations. 4,000. <clears throat> So, in all the world, who has the most laws and the most regulations? Who would you think? It's us. Because our government wants to be not just in control, they want to be controlling. You see, when we talk about these things, there's always people that get... Uh, how do you say butt hurt? <laughs> they get, I don't know, aggravated. I don't know. But really the sin nature in, I can't believe I said that. The sin nature in us, listen to me, the sin nature in us intimidates, manipulates, and controls. And if you have enough money and money hasn't done the trick for you, you want more power. And the only way to get more power is to get more power. But, because, but power will never bring you the peace that God wants to bring you. So you'll have to get a little bit more power. And then if your money doesn't do it for you, then you're going to have to get a little bit more money. It's kind of like winning a rope and you win a rope. And, but then after you win that rope, and you just got to go rope and win that next rope. And we cannot ever allow the things of this world to replace the peace of God that passes all understanding. 
Money won't bring you peace. In fact, in many cases, it's just the opposite. Oh, by the way, how many laws do you think Jesus had? Two. I think we can remember that. The human mind can't wrap itself around 8,000 rules and regulations and 4,100 laws. But I think we can all wrap our mind around love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Don't you just love God for just as simple as he can put it. Hey, you love me, and if you love your neighbor, it's all, everything else is encompassed in the whole word of God around those two laws, love God and love your neighbor. So the Pharisees, they thought that they, had, they could improve on what God said. They thought that they could fix God's deal. <laughs> Instead of in God we trust, we need the government to bring, come up underneath us and give us more money. They need to provide better health care. The government needs to do this. The government, and then the government gets to that place where we have to put our trust in the government if we're going to survive. Let me tell you something. It's not the way it works, not in the kingdom of God. So the Pharisees, they come up with over 600 laws to fix what God could do with two laws. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We in our human nature can mess anything up. And we cannot, listen, I'm just saying this, we can't ever improve on what God says. Well, I had a guy in my office a few years back, and we was talking about something. And he said, well, for me, I said, I don't want to hear about that. He's like, I, and I told him, I said, no disrespect, but I don't really care what you think. Here's what the word says. And it's not like we can give an opinion for me what I think about it. No, it's not like that. It's what God says. No, hardly any people come to me for counseling. <laughs> they really don't. <laughs> I'm the suck it up counselor. I'm like. <laughs> so gratitude should be what drives us. We should be thankful people. Gratitude makes us generous and humble. But if you take God out of the equation, both disappear quickly. Verse 19 of that same speech that Moses gave, he said, if you ever forget the Lord your God. He's talking about a nation forgetting, not just individuals. He said, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them. I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. And at this point in time, we're like, man, I'm glad I'm not Israel. Well, we got to read on here. Verse 20, like the nations, plural, the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. 
Now, we're asking the question, does God still actually destroy nations? I'm, that's, I'm not going there because I've not been given. I'll only give you the word that I have, but I will, I will tell you that the scripture does say that the nation that forgets God will surely die. And it's because I believe personally of the godliness of Americans that have honored God, that God has withheld judgment on America because of God's people, because of our influence on the world instead of the world's influence on us. Increasingly, we are a nation that is saying, who is the Lord but it really honestly hasn't always been that way. I love Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King. By the way, before he was Dr. Martin Luther King, he was Pastor Martin Luther King. <laughs> I like that. When he gave his I Have a Dream speech on August the 28th in 1963, when our nation was admittedly racist, he gave the speech at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. said, now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksand of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all, God, all God's children. Amos 5.24 says this, and we will not be satisfied in just, until justice rolls down the waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. He said, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And he ends a quote from what is referred to in an old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. And what are the last words? Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. I've watched documentaries of what happened back in the late 50s and the 60s and the, the problems that our nation had of, of uh, disrespect and dishonor for our fellow brothers and sisters of color. And I do believe without a doubt that God was angry with the church as the church justified their racial stance. Loving God and loving people, regardless of the color of their skin or whether they're rich or whether they're poor, loving people, whether they are intelligent or unintelligent, whether they um, 
whether you agree with them or not. It says love never fails. The biggest challenge that we, we will ever have as, as born-again, God-fearing Americans is to understand how to love people the way God intends us to love people. It's the biggest challenge. <clears throat> Dr. King appealed to our national conscience, not, not law, our accountability to God, our divinely informed conscience created leverage. Dr. King's convic convictions, however, they cost him his life. So what is the conclusion? The conclusion is erase God from the national conversation and we eliminate our ability to be grateful to anyone but ourselves. Number two, eliminate God from politics and national leadership, and we are accountable to no one but us. Dismiss God from the equation, and we detach our conscience from our policies. Why do we have to work so hard to protect our kids and ourselves from harmless websites and, and social media, public school, sex education for fourth graders? My goodness. Why is it that we... We know when we know it's harmful, but it's legal. Why is my in God we trust government more committed to protecting the rights of fentanyl dealers and pornography industry that we know is contributing to the destruction of the minds of families that, than it is to protecting them? Because law in many ways in America has replaced our conscience. And while we debate the size of government stimulus plans and how rich is rich enough, we lose the two major words in our model for America under God. God help us to keep under God in America. Let's invite God back into our schools. Let's invite God back into the wombs of our mothers. Let's invite God back into the national conversation. <laughs> Anybody here ever been lost? Raise your hand if you've been lost. I know you're not proud of it, but... <laughs> If somebody came up to me and they'd never been to Houston, they said, well, Randy, how do I get to, how, do I, how can I get to Houston? I said, well, you go out here on this driveway, hang a right on 105, and when, when you get to I-45, hang a right, and you'll be in, you'll go to, it'll take you to Houston. If they do this, and then they go, go down to I-45 and they hang a left, after about two hours, they're gonna be thinking, did he say right or left? Then they, when they wind up in Dallas, they're going to say, how did I get here? I thought he said, hang a left. The scripture says, not every man that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. 
Well, I thought he said we could be this way. So I want to be real clear here. I'm not trying to stir up fear in anybody. I don't want fear in you. What I do want is for you to be confident in your relationship with God so that no matter what in your life, you know the way to get to heaven. I got lost in Lake Creek Bottom. I'm not proud of it. I was on my four-wheeler. And I got turned around. And I thought I was someplace that, that I wasn't. So I'm like, I called Darla. I had my phone with me. I did, I did, they don't have Find Randy app on their phones. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know the, we didn't have no apps or nothing. So I didn't really know where I was at. So when I called Darla, she starts laughing. I'm like, who are you laughing at? She's like, I hear the four-wheeler. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm in the woods, and I don't even know where I'm at. And I'm looking over in the pasture next to me. I'm like, my cows must have got out because there's somebody else's pasture. They were in my pasture, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> you know why? I didn't know where I was at. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. I thought I was in the right place. I said, honk the horn. She started honking the horn. I could not believe it. I couldn't wrap my mind around the thought that that truck was right over there when I thought it was supposed to be way over here. And the only thing that I could do is go against what I reasoned in my mind. I had to go against it and I had to follow the honking of the horn. I guess I'm through preaching now. I hope you get the message. There's a lot of honking going on. Today in America, God is the one that's honking the horn. He says, I'm over here. I'm available. This is home. And I got it all planned out for you. But you got to make the phone call. And you got to be willing to say, I need you, God, to humble yourself before God and say, thank you for making yourself available for me. Because without you, I am lost. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for all you do for us. I pray that you'd help us. We... Uh, we don't want to be sheep without a shepherd. We need a shepherd, oh God. Help us, Lord, to understand the, the, the power of the truth. Help us not to be deceived with the direction that we go, oh God. I'd like for you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. Today, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, the greatest way that you can find out who you are, where you're going, what your future holds is by knowing the God that created you. The scripture tells us this. It says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and that's part of being humble is humbling ourselves to the point where we understand that we really have sinned against God. 
But the truth is, we've all done that. I've done it. Everybody's sinned against God. But he said the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we must understand that eternal life comes through Jesus because he's the only one, the only one that overcame death, overcame hell. He overcame the grave. And so he makes eternal life available to each one of us. But we have to accept him as our personal savior because he's going to he's not going to make you come out of the weeds he's or come out of the woods he's going to ask you do you want me as your personal savior so this morning if you've never accepted him maybe if you have you just haven't been living for him simply by raising your hand say preacher i need jesus in my heart i need to make him the lord of my life slip your hand up high preacher that's me we want to put a bible in your hand anybody preacher that's me i need jesus i need jesus in my heart Anybody? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand, stand to your feet, please? It's really easy to let some of the world's ways come into our thinking when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to, to uh, the, the, the divisive things in between the Democrats and the Republicans, the divisive things. But I'm going to tell you something. We need to cling to Jesus more now than we've ever clinged to Jesus before. We need help. I need help because if I'm not careful throughout my week, I'll let some of the world stuff come in on me. And then I'll read the word, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now, yeah. So how many say, preacher, there's some things I've let infiltrate in me from the world, and I know it's not from God, and I don't want it in me. Raise your hand, preacher, that's me. I don't want it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to pray for you. Everybody else, raise your hand. Let's pray for each other, shall we? Lord, thank you, Lord, for loving us. Lord, we raise our hands and surrender to you, O God, surrender to your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that sets us free. We thank you, Lord, that you are living and powerful, that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and then it pierces down the, the division of bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And Lord, as you do surgery on us, oh God, spiritually, I pray, Lord, that you would take out any divisiveness in us, oh God, that we would not buy into the division of America, Lord, but that we would buy into the unity of God, and we would say, God, we agree with you, and we pray, oh God, that you'd help us not to look to the right or to the left, but keep our eyes fixed on you as the author and the finisher of our faith, oh God, so you have the answer, we declare you have the answer, and help us, Lord, to declare that to our friends, our family members, our kids, our parents, oh God, help us, Lord, to be faithful to you in every area of our lives. And we speak victory over this congregation in 2022. Lord, in 2022, we make it all about you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. God bless y'all. We love you. Our prayer team's up here if you need special prayer. God bless you.